Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. The spirit is among us. The spirit of horror movies and pumpkin spice lattes (laughs) and genre-bending movies starring hot people. Hi, I'm Lizzie. And no, I did not get a snake tattoo because of this movie. Hi, I'm Sam. And what is wrong with you? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think about that line read all the time. Uh, Incredible. Lizzie, it's practical magic. It's practical magic. It should be called like impractical magic. No offense. (laughs) Like practical magic would be like changing your tire or like, you know, doing your taxes. This is like a very specific use case. Yeah, this is like only in the case of 90s women do you need to use any of these skills. This is a witch listens to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, this is goodbye (laughs) Earl (laughs) on a broomstick. Absolutely. So what do we do here at Subtextual Sam? We watch all the films that you love and hate and have never heard of and we take our queer little lens to it to show you all the gay shit that was already there. You know, it's been a while since I've made a real stretch but I'm stretching today. I am reaching because I love this fucking movie. I've seen this movie a bajillion times. Mm-hmm. But I had to watch this movie in secret. Like, my mom was very anti-magic. Like, I couldn't read Harry Potter. I couldn't even watch Matilda. She thought Matilda was too witchcrafty. So the only way I got to watch this movie was at my witchy grandmother's house. It's like, I relate to a lot of this movie on a lot of levels, but I would go to my witchy grandma's houses for like two weeks in the summer, and she would let me watch Cats, the Broadway production on DVD. She would (laughs) let me eat cookies for breakfast. Like, you heathen. Yeah, exactly. But I'm I'm taking a reach with this film today, and I want you to reach with me. Lizzie is saying this because when this popped up on the calendar, I said, Lizzie, practical magic. Is, is it really it, gay? Is it really gay? It's about sisters. And she was like, you let me worry about that. And I said, I'm just going to let you know. I'm going <laughs> to ask some questions. And I think you're prepared to yes, answer those questions today. I have some, something to say. That's for sure. <laughs> so, Sam, what's your history with this film? My history with this film is hazy. Um, not a strong memory, only because I watched it very recently. I also, the first time I saw this film was also the first night I ever had a martini. (laughs) So my fiance's grandmother, we were staying with her for the night and she was like making a martini. And I was like, oh, I've never had one of those. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to make one of these and, you know, we're probably going to watch a movie. What about Practical Magic? And I was like, I've never seen that movie. And the look of like (gasps) grandeur, like she was so excited to both make me a martini and show me Practical Magic. She was so excited that the martini was incredibly strong. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so my actual memory of Practical Magic is more of a haze. Well, this movie is kind of hazy and disjointed, I think in a good way. Critics disagree. Fuck them. A la Saving Face. Yeah. This movie is, it's an iconic film. It has stood the test of time. Is it a perfect movie? Yes. Just kidding. You thought I would say no. I think it's a perfect movie. But why we're talking about this film today, you know, I kind of felt that this movie was gay. And I felt that way for a long time. And at first I was like, okay, is this going to be one of those entries that's like movies that made me gay? Because it most certainly is that. Like Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, everything they wear, everything they do, every line they say, absolutely informed my entire personality and most of my wardrobe. But I kind of felt like there was something there. So I started doing research. I bought the book because, you know, it's based on a book if I'm doing it. (laughs) I brought it here today. Incredible book. It's It's so cute. It's got that this is totally a movie cover where it's just like pictures of the actresses right on on the cover. Yeah, it's got a picture of Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman in like really bad quality. Like it's a very grainy photo, (laughs) which means, you know, it's a good book. Um, And I also pulled the DVD from the library to listen to the commentary. And somewhere along the way, it really clicked for me. In this film in particular, I think witchcraft and being a witch is a metaphor for homosexuality. So this is not one of those subtextual films where they're secretly having gay sex off screen. This is one of those subtextual films where I'm asking you to zoom out a little bit. This is Mamma Mia, Disco is Gay. Exactly. There's a lot to relate to this film. I think 
from a queer perspective. So just to talk a little bit about witchcraft and how it works in practical magic. So in this world of Sally and Jillian, you're born a witch. It's not something you choose. And it's something that they're mocked for, that they're alienated for. And it's also something that they choose to hide from the world, which all of that feels very familiar Mm -hmm. to me as a queer person. Mm -hmm. And also on top of that, the entire conflict of the film is centered around this curse that specifically makes it impossible for these women to fall in love with men. And we can talk about that when we get into the actual plot. But if we're talking lineage, statistics would say that one of these Owen sisters would have to be a lesbian and the curse would be broken. Yeah. (laughs) But the whole conceit of this film and the whole thing that they are trying to defeat is this curse that says, should you fall in love with a man, he shall die. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) well, that works out for me. (laughs) Exactly. You'd be great. You'd be like, oh, that's it. I would excel in this environment. (laughs) But In terms of witchcraft, I mean, throughout history, it's been no surprise. Like, if you know even the slightest thing about witchcraft and the Salem witch trials, most of these women were not actually doing witchcraft. What was called witchcraft was actually just, like, not submitting to the patriarchy, having sexual deviancy, a.k.a. any sexual desires at all, or not adhering to the gender roles set for you, not wanting to be the submissive little mom or the submissive daughter or whatever. And that was enough to warrant you being alienated, persecuted, killed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And throughout history, that's been the case. And because of that, something I learned recently and a term I started hearing is the idea of practicing in the broom closet. So witches, modern witches especially, will use this term kind of like tongue-in-cheek. The term in the closet didn't come around to like the 60s to mean, you know, a person who doesn't want to talk about their sexuality in public or hides their sexuality from the public. But witches started adopting that term to decide if they wanted to even tell their friends and family that they practice witchcraft because of, you know, there's a lot of stigma around it. I've never heard that term. That's incredible. In the broom closet, practicing in the broom closet? In the broom closet. It's kind of like the a colloquial term that people will use because people can be out of the closet practicing with their friends, but like they would never tell their mom like, yeah, I practice witchcraft because she would be like, what the fuck does that mean? Your mom especially. <laughs> My mom especially, God. So this was one of those things to me that I realized I really related to the Sally Owens and Jillian characters because throughout the film, especially with Sally's character, we're seeing her choose to repress this side of herself, repress this magic, fight against it, and eventually literally come out. Mm -hmm. It's a line in the film that they use. Come out of the closet to embrace this part of herself. And that's when she really flowers and flourishes and also whenever she finds love. So to me, I always related to this film on a deeper level. The idea of like hiding this part of you whenever if you had let that part out, you just would have been bigger, badder, better, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, On top of that, I do think that Sally Owens, played by Sandra Bullock, is a lesbian. It's hard to not see Sandra Bullock's performance and Nicole Kidman's performance and this, like, beautiful intimacy that they have with each other. I know that they're sisters. If I had read the book, maybe I would feel strongly that this is a sisterly bond. But I have plenty of sisters, and I don't act like this with any of them. (laughs) No. Me and my—if I had a sister, I doubt we would have this much physical chemistry. We watched this movie together for the podcast, and I had to keep pausing it and looking at Lizzie and being like, this is not what having sisters (laughs) is like. (laughs) You're like, this is more akin to having a girlfriend. Exactly. It's so true. It really comes across. I hope I'm not on Lonely Island when I say that. No, I was actually hoping you would say it first before me. Thank God. Okay, great. Okay, look, they don't look like sisters. No, they don't look even mildly related. And that helps. But also they spend so much of the film like living apart and growing up apart and having this like long distance relationship mm-hmm. I don't know it's and the way that they act around each other willing to kill and die for each other like I don't have sisters maybe that's a thing sisters do no I mean <laughs> sisters do that but it's not the idea that they would live and die for each other that's something that sisters can have in common me and my sisters would do the exact same thing I would fucking kill someone if they looked at my sister the wrong way the thing that is unsettlingly not sisterly is this like physical intimacy they share where they're always like under the covers kissing and touching the bridges of their nose yeah no i think this film would be so much better if these were like just lifelong friends roommates 
then we can let our um, imaginations run with us a little bit more. But just know you are not the only person to feel this chemistry. I'm not the only person to feel this chemistry, and I'll have some evidence later to show who else relates to this with us. Roger Ebert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Roger Ebert is secretly a witch. (laughs) He's just kicking his little feet up in the air. He's like, (laughs) yeah. Oh my God, these sisters are so fun. Also, another reason we're talking about this film today are the way, way queer coded aunts, fucking gay aunts played by Stockard Channing and Diane Weist. I'm doing the hand thing that they do at the end of Breakfast Club. The fist bump in the air. That's for Stockard Channing. Okay, Stockard Channing. Wait, did Stevie Nicks had a body double for her or what's the vibe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were just interchangeable. They actually borrowed all of Stevie Nicks' wardrobe for this film. Obviously, it was much cheaper that way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They saved a buck. Stockard Channing is an absolute icon. You will recognize her as Rizzo from Greece. She's also in another queer fucking classic to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Love Julie Newmar. Um, and Diane Weiss, who plays the other aunt, is in The Birdcage, another film I fucking love, um, and also Lost Boys. These are two women who have just lived their whole lives without a single man in the house who probably share a bedroom because they're always descending and ascending and arriving and departing together. Not a wrinkle, not a frown. These are women that have not known the life of tending to grumpy (laughs) old men. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting that Owen's family only has girls. They only have daughters. And again, they're beheld to this family curse from like an ancestor to basically never have a man in their life ever. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I don't know, it... It breeds like the perfect paradise of a film for me, like this beautiful house they live in. It's just my dream life. Lilith Fair. <laughs> Lilith Fair, 100%. Uh-huh. All right, so let's let's get into it a little bit. So like I mentioned, Practical Magic is a book. Um, it's written by Alice Hoffman. Um, it's actually one of four books in a series. Um, she first wrote the book in 1995, and the film was made in 1998. The book is, I read it, of course, it's so, so different from the movie. It's more centered on um, the daughters of Sally, who we see kind of grow up more, become teenagers. Um, There is a little bit more inherent witchcraft. There's a lot less plot. It's more just vibes. There is like the whole, we got to kill this man because he's, you know, an abusive boyfriend arc. But it's not really the central part of the story. May I ask, does the perspective shift or is it like an... um, Yeah, like omniscient observer or something? Yeah. From what perspective is the story told in the novel? It flips between the four women. So Sally and Jillian and then the daughters of Sally. Got it. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. Like a big shift every few chapters probably. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting like different generational perspectives and it's more of just like a commentary on their life and less a huge plot. It's a beautiful book. If you want something to read this October, I really recommend it. The film, however, was directed by a man named Griffin Dunn for whatever reason. This guy is not even really a director. He's kind of a lighthearted comedy actor. The only films he's been in that I've heard of are An American Werewolf in London and After Hours, both of which he starred in. And then he's kind of in like a smattering of work after that. So weird. Why did he get this movie? I don't know. And listening to the commentary... He is so boring. (laughs) I'm so sorry. He's rambling on, says nothing of importance. And anytime the producer or Sandra Bullock, who are on the commentary track, talk about him, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we had to explain what that was to Griffin. He didn't know what a phone tree was. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we had to describe it to him like 20 times. Oh, my God. No. Not this, like, guy that's just, like, propped up on a plank of wood (laughs) that they have to explain the concepts of the movie to. Say the words, Griffin. I mean, I'm sure he did a good job. The movie is good. But Sandy Bullock is one of the producers, one of the creative producers. Sandy. (sighs) Love Sandra Bullock. So she was on early in the project. It was actually her idea to bring on Nicole Kidman, though she had only met her once at a birthday party. She was like... That's who it should be. No, she's so right. Yeah. Pitch fucking perfect. Is it written in the book that the character of Jillian is redheaded? No, it's actually written that she's blonde. Huh. 
But, but they commit to the redheaded because the generations show like redheaded right. like a brunette and a redhead. Wow. I think it's one of the more iconic elements of the film, how different the sisters look. Yeah. And also lends to us just ignoring the fact that they're sisters when we want. And it also makes me feel like they're weird thing to say, but like they're cats. You right. know, like cats have litters and the kittens are like vastly different. Yeah. Well, how they look really lends to how they act like you know sandra bullock's sally character is the more down to earth the one that doesn't want to do magic the one that's always got the plan and she's got brown hair she's really grounded and she wears like denim and cotton (laughs) meanwhile jillian how would you describe nicole kidman's style in this film jillian is your friend you take to a bar maybe on a bachelorette trip who's like a drink away from riding the mechanical bull (laughs) (laughs) Is <laughs> the best way I can put it. Oh my it. god! <laughs> Nailed it. Thank She's you. the one that's like, "No, come on! I love this song. It's gonna be fun. This yeah. guy just bought me a drink." <laughs> She's wearing like more revealing, more sexy, Mm -hmm. like she's got this fiery red hair. She's definitely the spitfire of the two sisters. And yeah, visually, it just works so well. Yeah, incredible. And I'm literally torn in half. You love Nicole Kidman. It's going to be red. Yeah, I know it is. Okay, great. And just another person to throw some love to is the producer, Denise DeNovi. She was like the main producer of this film and she has done so many fucking good films because of her. We have Heather's, Edward no. Scissorhands, both Little Women films, the 1995 she said version. Winona. She said Winona and then she said Greta. Uh, Could you imagine greenlining two Little Women films? I love her. She also did What a Girl Wants, Sister of the Traveling Pants. She's really, really cool. Um, she was the only voice I really cared about in the commentary. Incredible. Wow. Um, but hey, let's get into the plot. It was an accident. It was fate. It was the curse, wasn't it? Did you or your sister kill James Angelo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the only kind of magic. You just look familiar. We never met before. I remembered if we had. That can break the evil spell. What would you do, Jerry? What wouldn't I do for the right guy? Annie Lennox and Aretha Franklin's sisters are doing it for themselves. Sisters are doing it for themselves. I mean, you can already tell just from the trailer that the soundtrack slaps. Slappity slaps, bro. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Hell yeah. We got two original songs by Stevie Nicks written for the film. Incredible. We have Faith Fucking Hill. Centrifugal Motion. (laughs) Just just work that into a song lyric. That's Uh, sublime. So in case you didn't know, the Owens family women are cursed. Let's talk about this curse for a second. So we learn about the curse first thing off the bat of the film. We kind of are flashing back to a heartbroken ancestor who is tried in the town as a witch and scorned by her lover. So her sorrow turns into a curse. Any man who falls in love with an Owens woman will die. After watching this movie a million times, I did indeed discover the cure of the curse. What is it? Only date women. Only date women or gay men. Yep. Sorry. It's called a life companion, folks. (laughs) Every vampire has done it for forever. For forever. This seems so easy. Like They don't even consider it? They don't consider it. Well, you know who does consider it? The aunts. Stalker Channing. Yeah. (laughs) Stalker Channing, Diane Weiss are like, oh, perfect loophole. And they live perfectly happy lives with not a single problem in the world. This is also brings me back to the weird family intimacy. Like, Stalker Channing and Diane West. Is it is her name pronounced West or Weist? Weist. Diane Weist. Okay. Stalker Channing and Diane Weist. Every time they go to bed, they're like, let's go to bed. Yeah. And they, like, join hands and go to the <laughs> same room. It's like, so you know how to be a lesbian. Yeah, why don't you just do it? Just do it with someone who's not your sister, bro. Yeah, right. Not anyone in that crusty, dusty town, though. Why is the town so beautiful and the people so stupid? Rhetorical question. (laughs) So apparently, though, the curse is serious because Jillian and Sally are left orphaned as children because of the curse. Both of their parents die. And they go to live with their lesbian aunts, and life gets way better. They let them eat chocolate, stay up late, teach them magic. Basically, this was me going to my grandmother's house. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hilda Zelda. What happened to Sabrina's parents in that show? Sabrina's parents, her dad was a warlock, Mm -hmm. and her mom was a human. And so basically, she couldn't have relationships with her mother. 
and her dad was like banished to some other like warlock realm where she couldn't communicate with her. So she was like left in the custody of her aunts. <gasps> That's so sad. I'm you so only sad. see her dad like but once. Weird. They just were like, oh, she yeah. doesn't need him. No, She's I... got her gay aunts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the kids in the town bully them for being different. Again, I don't know. Feels kind of gay to me. <sighs> yeah, which, which. You're a bitch. You're a bitch. <laughs> Ow. Okay, slay. Someone sample that. <laughs> so the curse affects how Sally and Jillian think about love. Sally goes full recluse. She's like, okay, look, I'm going to invent the most impossible man on earth. She just invents David Bowie. She invents David Bowie, <laughs> which is about the gayest person you can invent one for yourself. One green eye, one blue eye. She's like, I'm going to avoid falling in love. By having an impossible standard for men. That's called being in the closet, sweet potato. I know. It's called me being in love with fucking Matthew Lillard, baby, <laughs> baby girl. <laughs> it's like, well, if he's not Matthew Lillard's standard, I guess I can't date anyone. Exactly. No, it definitely read that way to me. And then Jillian, played by Nicole Kidman, is more boy crazy, but like in a surface level way. She's like, I'm just going to jump from boy to boy without ever actually falling in love. Yeah, she sees them kind of like as a ticket. Like, I need to get out of here mm -hmm. to a place where nobody knows that I'm a fucking witch. Yeah, I think she just wants to party. Yeah. So she's like, who's paying for my party drugs? Hell yeah. So one day after Jillian has run off with like a boyfriend, Sally is staying back home in the small town with the ants, doing the like A plus Hermione Granger thing. And her ants decide to encourage her, quote unquote, to fall in love using a little bit of magic. So basically they cast a spell on her to fall in love with a man. And what you will notice about this film is that Sally literally never falls in love unless she was under the influence of magic. Lesbian. That's what I'm saying. Just let her fall in love with like the local potter woman. Exactly. Also, though, I can't even be mad about it because this scene which lasts all of two seconds and nobody says a single word. <laughs> this is essentially the Faith Hell music video. Yes. It means everything to me. I actually was hoping to just show you a little bit of this you scene. better. But you got me like a rocket shooting straight across the sky. It's the way you love me. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. Oh, bitch. In case you have not seen this scene, I would like to ask you if you've ever been inside a Hobby Lobby after drinking <laughs> a drink from Starbucks. Nothing comes quite as close. It's like the most basic bitch and most iconic Taylor Swift moment that actually hits really hard. I feel like all the blood is <laughs> rushing through my veins. I feel like, I don't know, like a superhero. I've never felt better in my life. Can you describe the scene a little bit? So after getting encouraged by her aunts to kind of fall in love with this random grocer. <laughs> Who never speaks. Never speaks. Ever. Maybe that's why I like him so much. Uh, because. Sally is overcome by some force and runs into the town square into this grocer's arms. She's like running and behind her is a pack of dogs inexplicably. Yes. Her hair is like so thick and so beautiful and she's wearing boots and these little denim shorts and this like tiny little baby tee and she like runs to him full force and jumps into his arms. <laughs> this is an old Navy commercial and I'm so here for it. It's like the most all-American thing you've ever seen and sandra bullock is an absolute queen obsessed uh so this man who does not speak eventually does die because rest in peace curse curse she's super mad at the ants because she finds out they interfered she says my children will never do magic they will be in the closet okay. here with me halloween town it's that time of year mm -hmm. i wonder if halloween town is subtextual i'll figure it out i'll fucking reach <laughs> ask me to reach again i'll do it <laughs> All right, so she's grieving. So sad. Meanwhile, Jillian is off in the world, literally being the hottest person I have ever seen. So Sally is grieving on the brink of depression to suicide. Anyways, Jillian? By a pool. Fucking bouncing that ass on a pool. And the thing is, is they show her dancing in the direct sunlight for at least a full solid minute. And I'm thinking... She's Nicole so Kidman fair. must have taped this for at least two days. You know, like if yeah. it's a solid minute of screen time, it must have been a day and a half. She is the palest person I've ever seen. She's ivory. How did, what did they do? Movie magic. It's day for night. 
<laughs> she's a vampire. Like she can't be like right in direct sunlight. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that the man she falls in love with in this film, who we are about to meet, his name is Jimmy. She describes as like a Dracula cowboy, which is the best kind of man you can be. He's played by a Croatian actor, Goran Vizhnik. Um, who, if you have ever seen Beginners by director Mike Mills, you actually pointed this out to me. I did not clock that this was the same actor. Um, he plays the lover in that movie. So he's a terrible boyfriend. He's, like, possessive. He won't let go of her, and she starts slowly poisoning him with Belladonna just to, like, take the edge off. She doesn't mean for anything bad to happen. Yeah, and the Stevie Nicks references has started, like, day dot, like literally at time code 0.000. <laughs> and uh, just because of all of Stockard Channing's entire performance, but I yes. love the Belladonna as in the Belladonna of Sadness, yes. which is also Stevie Nicks. And as Lizzie was saying, I knew this actor from Beginners having seen that like 20 million times before seeing Practical Magic. I laughed out loud because the characters are so different. I was like, there's no way that's that guy. But it really bolsters the fact that I think everyone in this movie is gay. <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it, folks. There's mm -hmm. an argument for every single person in the film that it's speaks. the L word chart. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're all connected. And so this is where the Goodbye Earl portion of the movie begins. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to The Chick's Goodbye Earl and then come back. We'll wait. All right. Are you back? <laughs> Welcome back. Um, Jillian calls Sally one night, terrified, and says, will you come get me? And we learn that Jimmy has been abusing her. So Sally shows the fuck up at the city motel, going to save Jillian's life. But Jimmy kidnaps them both in a car and forces them to drive off into the night. This is a terrifying scene. But what I really love about this scene, maybe one of my favorite scenes of the movie, actually, is when Sally is driving and Angelo is like terrorizing Jillian in the back seat. Sally looks into the rear view mirror mm. and you see that perspective change and you see that they're like kind of reading each other's mind and yeah. she says, the Belladonna's in my purse. Yeah. She's breaking like the fourth wall. I got, I get goosebumps. It's really, some people criticize this film for its tone shifts and it's like cheesy moments like this. But I think when you have actors who are giving 100% and have such talent and chemistry as Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, you really can't go wrong. And I will point out what things in the movie I think do it a disservice. One of them being the score. I think the score is just so heavy-handed and leading and has nothing to do with the performances. I think that the edit is really scrambled and confusing and, again, has nothing to do with the performances. And I think letting, no offense, letting a man direct a film about women only where only one man speaks basically the whole time. Like, yeah. it just doesn't really make sense. Like, get someone who has a background in sisters. Get someone who has a background in, like, generations of trauma between women. Like, I just don't think that some random actor was going to be a good director for this movie. No, I, I haven't read the book, but what's very evident in the edit and the direction of the film is that the men lead the story. The men push the pacing. The two male characters that barely get to say anything are the reason that forces the story in a direction. And it it feels like almost at times that the the leading characters, that the women of the story are, are kind of like victims of that. Right. When they are the ones that are driving the fucking bus. That's why it feels so disjointed. You take a book that is totally centered around a women's several women's experiences. And yes, even though part of their experience is falling in love and wanting love, it's not the entirety of the book or their existence. And yet when you try to give these really strong characters with all this potential, like you say, force them into this like pipeline of a love relationship narrative, it falls flat because they're acting against what the characters would actually want. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where these tone shifts that critics harp on come from. That and I do think the score is like actually bad. The soundtrack <laughs> is amazing. The needle drafts are amazing. But I do think the score is like legit really bad. So anyway, Earl's got to die. Obviously. Jimmy tries to like strangle Jillian and Sally gets on top of him and tries to get him off. And he ends up dying because she's poisoned him with Belladonna, which is actually extremely toxic <laughs> and can kill you. So that is accurate, folks. Do not take Belladonna. It is not actually just a sedative. Um, <laughs> as soon as they said that in the movie, Lizzie's little claw of 
necessary discussion fell upon my leg. And she said, please don't drink that. It's toxic. So he's dead. The girls start freaking out and they come up with the perfect plan. How about call the police? Self-defense. No, no, no. They have to do magic and bring him back from the dead. Then the story would be over. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, they have to do magic to bring him back from the dead to kill him again. To kill him again, which (laughs) is exactly what happens. This scene of them doing magic over this guy's corpse is just truly so hilarious and perfect. They're like using whipped cream to draw the pentagram on his chest. It's fun. It's modern. This is what witchcraft is like. You're like dancing to music and using whipped cream and you're like i'm gonna end the world ha. have you ever followed a single recipe that you like searched on <laughs> safari where you're like i'm just gonna substitute garlic powder because i don't have that it's cream of tartar <laughs> <laughs> essentially yeah um so yeah he comes back to live and they end up just having to kill him again and bury him in the backyard jimmy's put to bed for now so after this jillian Moves back into the house yep. with the gay aunts, gay sister, and her nieces, and decides she wants to help Sally out a little bit. So she wants to help her sister win the top of the parent phone tree. Please show me the scene. This is literally my favorite scene in cinema history. Hey, sorry to interrupt. Can I help you? I was up. Oh, my sister. Just wanted to see my sister. Isn't that a snake? Yep, that's right. I'm back. Woo! Hang on to your husbands, girls. Finally. Oh, I'm so pleased to report this. The top of the phone tree list is... It's Sally Owens. Woo! Go, Sal! Now that was me. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is my favorite scene. This is my favorite scene of all the 90s. You put a hand on my leg. You put your little claw on my leg and you said, this is more important than all three Godfathers combined before this scene rolled <laughs> when we were watching it the other night. I'm such a shallow person. <laughs> no, it's as important. There's a scene that I feel trumps all three Godfathers as well. We haven't gotten there yet. What is it? In this movie? Yeah. Oh my God. Do not let me skip it. I would never. So Sam, what happens in this scene? So we have the beautiful Jillian enter what seems like the most boring PTO meeting I've ever witnessed to be with her sister Sally, who is hoping to get top of the phone tree. (laughs) And uh, Jillian's mere presence is enough to like cause shivers throughout all these other moms who either are envious of her or are unsure about their attraction to her, (laughs) apparently. Uh, So Jillian sits down and sways with her magic the votes of the phone tree and Sally is named top of the vote tree. Hang on to your husbands, girls. I love it. She's so hot. You want to know something devastating? She's the same age filming this movie as I am right now. Yeah, but she is a vampire. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. An Australian vampire. We are, it would be ridiculous to uh, measure yourself up to Nicole Kidman. That's an actual vampire. <laughs> How long have you been? 26. <laughs> She's like, since. I started filming Practical Magic. Exactly. <laughs> she's just pressed pause on her. She did some sort of thing with the devil and now she's just... There's like a her. rumor in the town that they like eat placenta to like not age. And I'm like, yeah, I could see that rumor starting with how <laughs> fucking gorgeous this entire family is. And a quick aside, why does Nicole Kidman gravitate towards like battered women characters? This I isn't even the that. one, two, three, four, five, or fifth character she's taken. No, she's always like a grieving mother or a damsel in distress. No, a battered woman. Or a battered woman. M- Moulin Rouge, Big Little Lies, this film. And those are the only three movies I've ever seen her in. But she's got like ten trillion more, so I'm I'm bound to say there's probably two more. Yeah, I would love to see her as like a villain instead of the battered woman. But she is so good at like the innocence. I mean, there isn't a speck of evil in her. I think she could pull it out. You think so? Yeah, she's kind of spooky. I'll direct her. <laughs> I'll do it. Yes. Oh, my God. Can I get Nicole Kidman in my, like, evil gay vampire movie? <laughs> Lizzie's kicking her little heels and doing her potions. I'm doing witchcraft tonight to make this movie happen. Yes. So, got another fucking iconic scene after this. 
Jillian wakes up Sally in the middle of the night because the ants are concocting something in the kitchen. Lime coconut. <laughs> Mix it this all up. is better than anything Martin Scorsese has ever laid his fucking hands on. This is better than the fucking Godfather. Midnight margarita scene. Actually fucking iconic. And that's the thing. It serves almost nothing to the plot except to show how much fucking fun it is to be a cool witch in a house. I'm surprised the director even let this happen. <laughs> I was so obsessed with this scene. Can can you just play it? Midnight margaritas! <laughs> Okay, bitch, the lime and the coconut scene, if all this movie was was a vessel for the lime and the coconut scene, I would be happy. I'd be tucked into bed and just sleeping just like a little toad. I would love it. Incredible. We've got all of our principal witches of this generation, which is Jillian and Sally. Then we have the gay ants. Obviously the gay ants. They're making ridiculous margaritas dancing around. It's so incredible. As we were watching this, Lizzie's husband was behind us, like, doing computer work because he's a boy. And I turned to him and said, is there, like, a boy equivalent of this? And he looked up and said, no. (laughs) That's the thing is that someone could look at this film and be like, this is the most ridiculous part of this movie. Like, why are they even doing this? It, It ties in in no way to any plot beat. But to me, it feels so accurate to those, like, just stupid moments you have where you're just like... We're smashed. It's 2 a.m. We're like kind of talking shit, but we all know it's true. And there's like a moment um, after this where they're just like doing shots of tequila and like reading each other's palms and stuff. And they just start like cackling. And this I'm like, is the moment I turned to Lizzie and I was like, actually, this is what having a sister is like because yeah. they're reading each other for filth where they're like, actually, it's not a crime to be a slut. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's the modern witch. Um, So in this scene, apparently Nicole Kidman brought like a really shitty bottle of tequila to set. They are, in fact, all wasted. (laughs) It's the Mamma Mia thing. It's the Mamma Mia thing. So that's why it feels so real. Love it. Love it. Love it. Things get a little more serious from this because Jillian recognizes the bottle of tequila as Jimmy's. Where did this bottle come from? Someone left it on the porch. The last time we see the bottle is when Sally is sprinkling Belladonna into it. And even in like flashes up until the sequence, we see like the apparition of Angela or Jimmy like in the yard kind of getting stronger. Yeah. Then there's like roses rising off of big thorny dark roses rising off of where they buried him. And the ants are supposed to not know this is supposed to be a big secret to the ants, which I think is just fucking hogwash. Like mm-hmm. they are probably the most intuitive people. And I don't know if it's different in the book, but I would feel like they would know that this was happening. I mean, it's like a, a teaching moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like the ants know, I think, even if they don't know exactly what went down, they know generally that this um, Sally and Jillian are hiding something. So they kind of like dip for a small part of the film <laughs> yeah. to be like, y'all handle it. Uh-huh. The rest of this act is kind of us realizing that Jimmy is still very much a presence. And he starts trying to possess Jillian. He's not in a physical sense because he's just a spirit, but he's trying to like possess her demonically. What a terrible boyfriend. And then we also get to meet our investigator who's like mr texas boy tucson boy tucson boy sorry she's like there's a difference (laughs) there's a big difference so something off the dvd commentary that really caught my attention that i would actually like to play for you comes around this part of the film when things start getting more heated between jillian and sally as they're trying to figure out how to deal with angelo now that he's an even more real threat than he was before Coupled with the threat of potentially going to jail because they're being investigated by the police. But there's a lot of moments in this point where Jillian and Sally are just spending a lot of time together to figure out how to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment in the commentary track where Denise DeNova, the producer, and Sandra Bullock, producer star, are talking about the chemistry between these two characters. And I just want to play a brief clip of that. 
<laughs> you see how you and Nicole, you know, relate to each other without even talking. You know, when they talk about chemistry with ma- male-female actors. Yeah. What's going on but when you house. see the kind of chemistry you guys have where Something's without dialogue, you totally get what each other That's is what's about. That's so needed. I mean, you know, I, I realized my entire career was spent on finding perfect chemistry with a guy that I'd never looked for perfect chemistry with a girl because they don't you know, You guys came pretty close. I mean, yeah, I, no, it was... So appreciated and easy. Mm-hmm. So, roommates. <laughs> they were literally roommates <laughs> living together. Again. So, we're not the only ones to see the chemistry between these two sisters. You would have to be blind. And some part of me is like, well, you took so many creative liberties with the book. Like, did it really have to be about sisters? <laughs> I am telling you, this is not natural to sisters. Yeah, but what they're saying here is Sandra Bullock is saying she basically based her whole career at this point on finding the perfect chemistry with a man Mm -hmm. that she never had the opportunity to consider what perfect chemistry with a woman would be like and talks about how that is what she has with Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting because women in films aren't going to ever be given the opportunity to have that kind of chemistry unless it's like a gay story Mm -hmm. and even then is it even going to be any good is it even going to be made yeah is it going to be distributed as widely as practical magic no and they're always going to want to center okay well how does sally relate to the men in her life even if they don't speak even if they're not even her boyfriend even if they're just people trying to do their jobs or they're related to jillian you know it's like always trying to center these women around the men in the story when the clear chemistry is sexual or otherwise with the person standing right next to her. Yeah, it seems very central, most central to this story is the relationship between these sisters and the fact that it didn't ping till way later in Sandra Bullock's mind about having chemistry with her co-star is not like because Sandra Bullock is thick or dense or any of those reasons because Hollywood very clearly... Uh, prioritizes men and women's relationships above women and women relationships, even in the sense that none of the men in this movie really even fucking speak, like you're saying. That's that's ridiculous. And how the rest of the story develops, I'll kind of wrap it up quickly, but Sandra Bullock's character ends up forming a relationship and an attraction with the police investigator who's like very well and nice. He's the impossible spell that she placed into the universe as a child, calling forth this impossible to find man with one blue eye, one green, whose favorite shape is a fucking star or whatever. Um, She is. That's ridiculous. The fact that they. They are staring each other down. The moment they see each other, it is like eyes on eyes. They are like nose to nose. And it takes her 40 minutes before she's like, do you have one green eye and one blue eye? I was born that way. (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense. And we don't buy it because it doesn't make any sense. That's okay. You know, so again, she does fall in love with this cowboy policeman under the influence of magic because this is a spell that she cast on herself unknowingly years and years ago um and jimmy does eventually possess jillian and sally ignites the phone tree hell yeah comes out as a witch to the entire town Mm -hmm. which they didn't know by the way that was all actually a huge surprise for them because they didn't even consider that I know what's funny is that, like, I think that they probably whispered it to each other, like, oh, do you think that the Owens girls are witches? Or, like, the kids will call them the witches and, like, run by their house and throw rocks and stuff. But her just, like, simply calling and being like, oh, hey, Mary Beth. Yeah, it's Antonia's mom. Yeah, I'm a witch. And actually, I really need your help because my sister's in trouble. And the way these women show the fuck up. Mm -hmm. um, I love this scene in the movie. It's really intense because Jillian Anderson. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Slip of the tongue. Nicole came and read this script and was like, this woman's possessed by a demonic evil man, and I'm going to play it as serious as possible. Mm -hmm. Apparently on the set days when they were filming this scene, it took about five days, and they had about 16 women on set together. Wow. Um, They had to install rubber floors onto the living room set because Nicole Kidman wanted to be able to, like, bang her body and her head into the floor. She was like, I'm going in. This is a horror movie right now. 
And some of the women would just be so overwhelmed and one would start crying in this like big circle scene and another one would start crying. And it was just like very emotional and intense, which you can totally feel in this scene. And at the end of this ritual where they're trying to cast Jimmy's spirit from her body, we basically get like a love scene, a confessional. Do you remember that? With Sally on the floor next to Jillian, like begging her, please stay, please. You, you promised me you that promised we would me. die together and today is not that day. And Jillian says, I love you. Like they're having this love confession scene. And there was another moment in the commentary that just perked my little ears up because producer Denise again comments on the chemistry between these two actors, these two characters, and says, there's not that many scenes in films where you see two women in a way have a love scene. There's something really thrilling about that. You don't get to see two actresses of your caliber, talking to Sandra Bullock, play a scene like that too often. And Sandra Bullock says that's going to change. She's talking about Miss Congeniality too. Her and <laughs> <laughs> She's so right. Is it Regina King? Yeah. Yeah. Such a Miss Congeniality too is so iconic. So they love each other. Their love breaks Jillian free from Jimmy's curse. And Stevie Nicks sings us out. And do they really have to be sisters? (laughs) I'm still mad about it. I will take any opportunity I can get to see incredible women as talented as these two actresses be central to a film for any reason. I wish it was less about men, but I mean, I just covered riding in cars with boys. So who the fuck am I to say anything? (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing is what good is in these characters and in these films is so strong you know, we can stand with the occasional blurry lens on it from whatever Hollywood executive is like, well, Sally's got to fall in love with the man at the end or else it's not even a movie. And is there anything gayer than that? Well, yes, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, love this movie. Um, on to the reception. Wait, can I ask a really quick question about the yeah. house that oh. they used? Oh, you mean the fifth Owen sister? <laughs> is Yeah. <laughs> Sex in the City. Yeah. Um, It's a real house. Don't tell me it's a set. Lizzie, if you tell me it's a set, I'm throwing myself off the balcony. Okay, so after the production was wrapped, Barbara Streisand called the director and was like, how can I buy that house? (gasps) It's a real house. And he was like, it's just a set. (gasps) Shut up, Lizzie. So the interior of the house was built on a stage in L.A. um, And they built basically a shell of the house in San Juan um, for the film only, several people in the town tried to buy the house. Fucking Ben Stiller saw the movie and hired the production designer to design his house. Like, people are in love with this house. It's was immediately taken down after filming wrapped. I am sick to my stomach. We will never get over it. What was I made for? Shut up. Oh, my God. I was really hoping you'd be like... Yeah, and it's a pretty affordable place that you could just rent out on Airbnb. No, if that was a real place we could actually visit, I would book a flight right now. Lizzie and I went on vacation for my birthday to a town next (laughs) over from where they filmed The Truman Show. And it was like a whole day event where I got to just walk around where they filmed The Truman Show. And it was like the best day ever. I was hoping we could do that. You can go visit the little town where like her apothecary (laughs) is. You can go visit Bella Swan's house. Fine. That'll do. That'll do. So reception of the film, it was made for $75 million and, and only made $68 million in the box office. Whoa. People like to call it a flop. I'm sure it's made its money back since Babe, then. Babe, that's a floppity flop. I'm so sorry. I'm sure it's made its money based on how many copies you've bought of this book. <laughs> but that's a floppeter. Well, it's like on Hulu now. I know, babes, but... That indicates to the studio that they shouldn't make any more of those at the time that it was released. Which is a mistake because I would have seen And I don't all agree. I want to be clear. I don't agree with that. And I have to say, they counted box office tickets, but did they even look at the sales of flowy skirts and red hair dye after this film? Did they even consider Stevie Nicks' stock price? Yeah, 100%. Soundtrack sales are not factored Belladonna? into this. Let's go. <laughs> the Apothecary's revenue skyrocketed after this film. Absolutely. Um, Critic-wise, like I said, critics hated this movie. It has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. But the human audiences gave it closer to like a 75%. As opposed to the what audiences? Okay, Rotten Tomatoes is so ass. They literally buy reviews. We're going to get into that. That's like a whole other episode. Yeah, it's a fan service. Um, But every single person on TikTok 
that I follow that loves this movie is a gay man. I don't know what that statistic is going to do for you. It's just actually the truth. Literally, all the gay men in my TikTok feed are talking about Practical Magic right now. As they should. And one final fact about the film. There's a theory for why the film flopped. Ooh. So apparently there was a witch consultant for the facts and of the witchcraft in the film. She allegedly called the studio after rap and demanded more money from the production. And when Curse. they refused to give it to her, she started speaking in Latin and cursing the director in the film. In the words of the detective, curses only matter so much as you give power to him. What does he say? He says that. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe it, it has got power in it. And I'm like, you literally just saw... A man's ghost inhabit Nicole Kidman. A ghost grabbed your boob, hit your star in your wallet, and disintegrated. Thank you for the information on curses, Mr. Fucking, who's the guy from WWE? Vincent McMahon. (laughs) That's for someone out there. It's for someone. Thank you. (laughs) I think it could be true. They could have cursed Griffin Dunn to, like, totally fuck up this movie in the edit. He said he did nothing important or meaningful after this, right? I mean, he's got, like, a career of, like, working in TV. He's, like, directed a few films. Nothing I've ever heard of. Does that mean <laughs> nothing good? I doubt it. I don't know who this person is. <laughs> if I'm missing some part of his discography, please feel free to scream at me in the comments. Sorry to this man. <laughs> <sighs> That's the film. That's the story of two sisters, uh, roommates. Um, <laughs> and I stand by that. Can we score this potion? Sam, how does the score work? How the subtextual score works is that we rate the film on how gay it is and how good it is, and we average those scores to get a score out of 10, the subtextual score. Hell yar. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam, how good is this movie? Six. Um, Considering this movie is at the foundation of my personality and personal style, I'm going to have to give it a 7.7 because seven's a magical number. Sam, how gay is this movie? One. One? Wow. Um, I'm going to give it a three. You said damn to me and my one? A you one? wanted it to be a more than three? You've literally never given the score of one yeah, because... in the history of the podcast. Wow. So that gives this a subtextual score of 4.4. Did we flop it? Yeah, we flopped it. No. Oh, it's number five. On the stinker? On the stinker chart. Yeah, you know, we still love this film, even though Sam just gave it a six. You gave it a three. And this gay score. Okay, we're not going to argue right now, like sisters. What is wrong with you? I don't know. (laughs) All right, thanks for celebrating Halloween with us. We'll be back next week with probably something actually scary. I don't know, it's Sam's turn, so she's going to make you watch something. Bye. Ah! Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash subtextualpod. See you next week.